But even in that company, one man stood out. Pelé, surely the greatest player who ever kicked a ball. It's that time again, right? Kick out the old welcome the new. Make your New Year's resolutions now. Go! are the boys in white and blue and we're back with another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory from the University of Beautiful, British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pender. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhower. And it's our first show of 2023. Hopefully you all had a a nice festive period, good Christmas, good New Year, all looking forward to the year ahead. We're going to get into a lot of that in the show. We're going to look back a little bit in this show to the Whitecaps 2022, our usual annual year in review. We're doing it a little bit different this year though, we're not being as thorough and not going month by month. I'm I'm keeping it a bit briefer because I would want to look ahead to 2023 as well. So, first two parts, we'll have a little look back at 2022. Parts three and four, we'll be looking ahead to 2023. We're going to do some shows on this around the Canadian Premier League as well, and maybe the national team will kind of see how things go. First of all, though, guys, I mean, how was your Christmas and New Year? Steve, did you, you have a good time? Any football-related presents for you under the tree? Yeah, I guess I could say football-related if it's uh, water bottles. I got water bottles uh, uh, from a couple of people. But other than that, no, nothing football-related. Um, overall, it was a, a great time off. Uh, played a lot of board games. Um, scored a, like a high on uh, Ticket to Ride. Uh, almost lapped at the fourth police person. Um, oh, wow. Uh, so it was, it was a good time. That's a good what, game. I like Ticket to Ride. What version yeah, are you playing? Uh, North American. Nice. I have original, the uh, European I the, one. I had the Vancouver to Boston through the south. Oh, wow. So a, a continuous one road and got, got connected five routes, which is good. Oh, it's been nice. a while since I played that game. I should dig that one out. What about your, could, yourself? Yeah, I mean, it was a quiet Christmas because <laughs> uh, yeah, no one could fly out for you. No one could get here. And then uh, my mother-in-law has a back issue, so she couldn't. Uh, we couldn't spend the day with them, but... Saw them other times. Uh, yeah, I got to spend it with my, my three favorite people, so that was nice. But, but and, Steve and me weren't there. 
my three favorite non AFTNP. Okay, right, that's fine. Just just to clarify that. Yeah, and I got to hang out with my wife and my kids, which was great. And um, yeah, and then work it was working er- on New Year's Day, so I uh, t- New Year's Day was our like New Year's Eve for us as a family. Yeah, and it's nice. My voice has just started to get better, just as yours seems to be going as well. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's good. Let let us know if you got any football related presents as well. I I got one this year. It was a, a book I was wanting by the author Daniel Gray. I've got a number of books of his from over the years. His football books. This is one that he wrote when football was just getting back going after COVID when. The, the small teams were able to, to let fans in, but the big teams weren't because of the how the numbers and everything involved. So it's called Silence of the Stands. I believe it officially comes out in Canada th- this month, actually. So I got it sent over from the, the UK, got Caitlin to order me that. So Daniel Gray is a guy that we've hoped to have on the show for ages. He, he said he was going to come on, and then I just have never got back to him to a sort of time. So... Maybe when the book comes out here, we will finally get him on. Obviously, there was some sad news as well between the the Christmas and New Year period. There's a a few well-known people passed away, but just before we get into our Whitecast chat, I just want to focus on the king that passed away. Pele passed away on December 29th at the age of 82 years old. The Brazilian, the only man... To, three, to win three World Cups, 1958, 1962, 1970. I mean, you feel that that record could be broken at some point, possibly by Mbappé. I think if France had done the business this year round, there was a good chance that Mbappé would beat that. But absolute legend of the game. Officially, FIFA recognised his goals as 1,281 goals. 526 of those, though, were scored in unofficial friendlies and tour games, but in official games for clubs and countries, 767 goals scored, 643 for FC Santos, 37 for the New York Cosmos in the NASL, 77 with the Brazilian national team, 9 with a Sao Paulo select, and 1 with a, a military team in Brazil as well. He is regarded by many as the, the greatest of, of all time. And just get some of your thoughts on the on the the legend, really, that he is, Steve. Yeah, and obviously never watched anything live. It's way, way before my time. But um, clips and everything, like, you, you can see how much he meant to a lot of people. Um, for me, uh, based on a lot of things, uh, like I, it's hard to compare generations uh definitely the best of his generation but I, I personally think the best of all time i think if you plop him into like nowadays the amount of you know uh, you know support he would get who knows like how much like support they got from their clubs back then right like tra- training and stuff like that and 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 the fact that nobody really got to see him because i don't think he I, i'm not sure how much he played he never played in europe right he was all set no because that's, that's never... always one of the things that's held against him is that yeah. he never played in Europe, but it's like that again. It's just the Euro snobbery but, coming in. But he proved proved himself on uh, a world stage, um, and and I guarantee you that it wasn't as easy for him as there is for other people nowadays. Like uh, like you talked about people getting kicked and everything like that in the past. 
I guarantee he got kicked a lot. Oh, he, he did. Was able to get through it. Yeah. Yeah. So, there's, a, there's some and videos looked, and some interesting articles that I've read over the last couple of days about players in these friendly games that were sent out to kick him, and then other things when money exchanged hands of okay, we'll make sure we give you all this money if you don't kick Pelly and stuff like that 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 took part. So. Yeah, These so, were obviously in friendlies. So, oh, in in well, competitive games, he was kicked all over the place. So for me, like if he was in the, today's game, like it was, it's so much more wide open than it used to be. That I think I feel like it, it probably he probably even flourish in this in this game and probably show that he is the best of all time. That's the thing, Zach. It's it's hard. I feel in football, and in fact, a lot of sports to to come up with the greatest of all time because the sport changes so much over the years, and. It's different, people of a certain age think of Pele as the greatest of all time. A lot of the modern thinking is skewed by social media, and obviously they go towards Messi or Ronaldo, and then before that you've got Maradona in, in the mix, and you can also throw in like the likes of Cruyff and Beckenbauer and, and stuff like that as well. There does feel like there has kind of been a, a kind of online hatchet job against Pelly's legacy in, in recent years with so many folk downplaying all those friendlies and saying that he never played in Europe. But he was deemed a national treasure. He wasn't allowed to leave Brazil. That's why he had to play for Santos. He wasn't allowed to go and sign for anyone else. But also at that time, Santos were one of the best clubs in the world. So why would you have the need to, to go and play in Europe? But, I mean, you look at the goals he scored, whether official, unofficial, combined, whatever. To get all those goals, you're one hell of a talent. And you look at things that the players do today, everything that you see, Pele did it first. Yeah, it's, it is a little bit of apples and oranges, right? When you're trying to yeah. compare different players from different eras and whatever. For me, personally, I always rated him in the debate with Maradona as, as better than Maradona. Yeah, me too. But for me, for me, obviously, Beckenbauer holds a, a, a special place in my heart for, uh, you know, being a Bayern and a, and a Germany player and and obviously then coach and whatever. But he and he also kind of changed the game in a different way, you know, playing out of the back and with very different position to all those other all those other guys, right? Yeah, um, I mean, Pele was an out-and-out striker. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, yeah, it's hard to hard to argue that he is, you know, not the 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 greatest of, of all time. Um, I mean, we talk about those goals though. It makes me think like, if we're counting goals in friendlies and touring matches, I think I have more goals than the Whitecaps midfield this year. <laughs> I don't think that would be hard when I was digging out the stats. Probably definitely got more assists than that was coming from that midfield this year. Um, but no, ser yeah, seriously though, like, uh, yeah, he he was a, a legend of the game, and uh, sad to see him go. Like at the at the tournament when he, you know, kind of took a turn for the worst. There was, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, uh, I put it on my my social media, but the one Brazil game I got to go to, they had like a giant get well soon Pele yeah. like overhead, and then they were putting his picture on on you know the one of the towers where they're flashing up scores and different things and whatever they would you know flash up his his image and get well soon pele and whatever it was yeah he's one of those people that transcends the game for sure and so it's sad to see him go and you feel bad for his family including isn't his mom like a hundred or something is she still alive 
Oh, I don't know. I thought I, I thought I heard that as they were getting ready. There's going to be like a 24-hour wake or something in Brazil. Yeah, I saw some yeah. of the pictures today. There's yeah. fireworks going off, and he's lying in state in Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. So supposedly his mom, I, I don't know if she had him when she was like 18, 19, 20 or whatever, because I think he was 82. But yeah, supposedly his 100-year-old mom is still kicking around. So there's extra protection at her house and or whatever oh, during this wow. time to keep her safe from crowds or whatever. But um, yeah, it's... it's um, yeah, it's a sad day for the the football world and an opportunity to reflect. I think one of the things too with Pele, I, I don't know if you said this, Steve, online when we were messaging about this, but or like on our our chat, um, a lot of his goals like we don't have video footage of, right? Like yeah. some of his. I mean, we have obviously we have tons of his great goals, but there's some the goals that he scored that we just don't you can't even ever seen before because there was no no coverage so he also has that kind of both yeah because that skews him. it again as and, well and, because and yeah. i agree with michael's thing about the social media like not even social media just tv in general like just yeah like oh, on yeah. tv as much uh um it's but definitely whoever's done it in, in the social media age that we're in whoever's done it recently and all of a sudden becomes the greatest but also, but it's the I greatest think, catch, or greatest goal, yeah. or greatest shot, or greatest save, or whatever. It's always the greatest. But I think for recently. even even like guys like us, right? Like who are maybe in between, uh, or you know, or those who are maybe let's say like thirty and older. Like there is, I think, as much as it works against you, I think there's also this part of like mystery of like, oh, like how good were his other goals, or like how yeah. you know. And so it's like a it, again, it, it definitely works more against him than for him. But I think for some people, it's like, well, I wish I, I wish I could see more because I've seen some that are so amazing. And, and, and you, and you can't compare the Brazilian leagues of now to when they were before yes, because yeah. they were much better back then because less people were tra- going over to Europe to play and everything. Yeah, like that, that is very, another. Yeah, that's another. Yeah, so the, the Brazilian league was probably very good back then. And like with Santos, they they came and toured around the world, and they played a a lot of friendlies over in Europe and in North America, and. Obviously, people know that Pele did play in Vancouver. He joined the New York Cosmos. Only actually officially played one league match in Vancouver with the Cosmos. But there's a great article that Bob Mackin put together on Vancouver is Awesome. And it's it's detailing the seven times that Pele came to Vancouver between the period of 1971 and 1992. First time that Pele came to Vancouver, July 30th, 1971. And Pele was part of a, a Santa side that came to Vancouver in 1971. But they actually played German side Hanover 96 at Empire Stadium. Santa's won 3 1. A crowd of 22,193 fans were there to see Pele score his 1,086th goal. And the only goal that he scored in Vancouver. It was a 22-yard free kick in the second half. Um, The following year, Santos were back in Vancouver. This time they were taking on a BC Vancouver Premier League All-Stars side at Empire Stadium. And Santos won that one 5-0. Just over 16,000 fans in attendance for that one. Pelly played 82 minutes. That was the last time that he played in Vancouver with Santos. He also returned to Vancouver in 1975. Had a a two-day visit here, which included an appearance at the BC Sports Hall of Fame in their seventh annual induction banquet. 
He spent time on one of these trips. I'm not sure if it was this one or not. Up at SFU as well. There were some good photos that, that's around of that as well. And he came back July that year in a friendly match for the New York Cosmos against the Whitecaps at Empire Stadium. Reserved seats were sold out for that one. General admission, just $4.50 at the gate, which equates in modern day money to about 23 bucks. Free tickets were offered to the match as well for anyone buying tickets to all four of the remaining regular season games. Cosmos won that one 2-1 in front of 26,495 fans, which at that time was a record local soccer attendance. September 10th, 1976, the Cosmos came for another friendly, this time though against the Canadian national team as they were preparing for World Cup qualification. Canada winning that match 3-1. And then June 30th, 1977, the only league match that Pele played here in Vancouver. The Whitecaps beat the New York Cosmos 5-3 up at Empire. 30,277 fans in attendance for that one. A record for a Canadian club match at that time. And so many fans were heading along that there was a traffic jam on the Iron Workers. It's been billed as a football-related traffic jam, but when you look at the iron workers nowadays, it's kind of hard to tell the difference because there's so many traffic jams going over the iron workers in, in both directions. Not a trip to Vancouver, but Vancouver-related. September 8th, 1979, two years after Pele's retirement, he performed the ceremonial kickoff at the start of the 1979 soccer ball in New York, passing the ball to Whitecaps captain John Craven. Of course, the Whitecaps went on to beat the Rowdies in that game. And then May 3rd, 1992, Pelly was then a FIFA goodwill ambassador and he came to Swangar Stadium in Burnaby for the opening of the CONCACAF Under-20 World Championship qualifying. Canada beat Guadeloupe 4-2 in front of just over 2,000 fans that day. So it's crazy to think that the last time he was here, back in 1992, and there was just over 2,000 fans to see it. But absolutely legend of the game. For many, myself included, the greatest of all time. Rest in peace, Pele. You did it all. But for all the modern day heroes. So yet yeah, the game has lost a, a true legend. It's it's disrespectful in many ways just to try and do the greatest of all time because all these players in their own rights have, have been absolute legends of the game, whether it's Pele, Beckenbauer, Cruyff, Maradona, Messi... Ronaldo, they've all done it. They've all d performed at a high level. And as you said, Zach, it, it's apples to oranges comparing them. And all we know is he's left a, a great legacy behind him. And we'll have a little bit more about Pelly to close out the show. Got a Pelly themed song for Wavelength. And then we're, we're actually going to end the show with some words from the man himself. So check that out at the end of part four. For the rest of this part, though, we're going to start our Whitecaps year in review and we're going to start with a high. The highlight of the year, the Whitecaps won their second Canadian Championship, lifted their second Voyagers Cup. It's, it's been a tough tournament for, for the Whitecaps. It was definitely the best night of the year and one celebrated by Vanny who got a tattoo of the trophy on his arm. And I was speaking to him before Christmas about that as he was showing me the the tattoo and everything. And he just said it's the first trophy he's ever won as a manager 
So he just wanted to commemorate it on him. And I think that just shows what it meant to him. You saw what it meant to him with his celebrations after the game as well. But I think that's a really nice touch. Yeah, I don't expect anything different from Vanny. Um, he, like, running up and down the pitch, I wouldn't expect him not to get a tattoo. I'm surprised the, the cat wasn't in the tattoo with, with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it was a, a fantastic night. Second win, as I said. Now, now, to get there, just a quick recap. They beat Valor in the first round, I'm calling it. I hate all this stuff now in preliminary round that they call things in North America. What's wrong with calling it the first round? It's the first round of the tournament. Anyway, I won't go into another, an angry bastard rant just yet. But they beat Valor 2-0 on May the 11th in that first round. Goals from Russell Tybert and Ryan Raposo in a three-minute first-half spell midway through that first half saw them through. They didn't push on and kill the game off, though, and that was maybe the disappointing thing from that. There was just under 8,000 in attendance at BC Place. That's the lowest ever for yeah. a competitive match ever at BC Place, right? I think probably is. Some of the CONCACAF Champions League games, I think, oh. were maybe around about six, 7,000. But weren't the Whitecaps going through like a horrible spell at that point where people were getting ticked off? I think they were losing a lot. Well, yeah, they had just started to turn the corner after a horrible oh. first two months of the season, so yeah. But we, at that point, we didn't know they had turned the corner. It just looked like, oh, they've got they finally got a win after the a horrible April and yeah. and March. But that set up a quarter final. Uh, th- this was kind of the the redemption tour really for for the Whitecaps after having gone out to CPL sides in the last two tournaments. But the quarter final saw them travel to Calgary, take on Cavalry FC on May twenty fifth. Again, they were made to work hard by the CPL team. And they actually fell behind in the 72nd minute in this one to a Meyer Bevan goal. A Dan Klomp own goal, though, with 10 minutes left, sent the game to penalties, and the Caps buried all five of theirs. Ali Moussey, the man that missed for the Cavs, giving Vancouver a, a 5-3 win. And when you saw the draw, this was always going to be the trickiest one on paper, and they, they got through it, albeit just, but hey, getting through is all that matters in the end. Yeah, that one. That one was probably definitely the the one where you thought it was the banana peel in the in the tournament. Um, and I don't even know if it's a banana peel like slip up game. It's basically uh, at that point they were very evenly matched up. Yeah, um, Calvary what? was a decent team and everything like that. But what? yeah, when that goal went in the seventy second minute, I was I had Vancouver written off at that point. Yeah, yeah. was Bevan's goal? Was that from distance? That one? It was. Almost yeah, that was, sure that was, it was outside the box for sure. That was a quality goal. But that set up a semi-final on June 22nd. It was another narrow win, this time 2-1 over York United. Brian White double in the 53rd and 74th minutes did the damage. York made it interesting though when Isaiah Johnston pulled one back with six minutes to go and like they weren't really in the game. It was completely in the, the Whitecaps' control. And then they were just made to sweat it out towards the end. But just over 10,500 in attendance for that one. But well, it was closer than it probably should have been. Well, the crazy thing about that game was, uh, what's, the, what's the goalie's name? Nick? Nick G? Nicky G? Oh, yes. So Nicky G is the one that got them past Pacific in the shootout. And then he had a howler in that game. I remember yeah. one, of the, one of the goals was absolutely awful. And the second one was not good either. Um and uh or the other one was not good either and yeah they because the team had worked so hard and then he like let the team down and yeah. then I, and then york, Johnson... york were missing uh, i can't remember 
at least two, one player, possibly two key players, because they're away with Canada on U twenty duty. Yeah, the guy that the Vancouver brought in later, the striker. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and like their goal was like, uh, I mean, more than um, I don't remember the, the quality of the goal, but I remember that like they were worth a goal in that game. Like they worked so hard as a team. They worked in the second half. They were totally outplayed in the yeah in the no, first, first half. half it like no, it but they were totally out, they were outplayed. But they like they they they, they stuck to their game plan. Yeah, they they stuck. Yeah. They stayed compact and and yeah, it was yeah. I, I mean. You, when you get let down by two goalkeeping errors like that, it's just like you felt. It was, I felt like it was harsh, um, harsh, harsh for Martin Nash. Yeah, but Brian White had done well in that game. I mean, the best Brian White played over the season seemed to be in that Canadian Championship. It really lit a fire under him. But then that set up the best night of the year, July twenty sixth, the BC Place, the final Whitecaps against TFC. It was one all after regulation time. White again put them ahead in the 19th minute and they were looking pretty comfortable until up popped Lucas McNaughton to level with 15 to go. Again, straight to penalties, no extra time in the tournament. I think that can be something we can maybe touch on in a bit as well. Whitecats buried all five penalties again. Jonathan Osorio, the man to miss for TFC, which then gave Tristan Blackman the chance to be the clinching hero and he did it for the 5-3 shootout win. And Fantastic crowd out for this. 24,307. The Whitecats had to work very hard to get that crowd in because they offered so many deals and in-stadium offers and, and things like that, which I think they need a lot of, of credit for just to make sure that they got those fans in. I still think it's sad that they have to go to those lengths to do it because we all value the tournament and we know what it means, but... It is a hard sell, this tournament, as will the Champions League be ne next year or th this this year as well. But it was great to have that crowd in and it was it was an atmosphere worthy of a final. Wasn't it it was was it the, a tournament record? Or like it was a tournament record for Vancouver, but I thought it was wasn't it like a tournament record for possibly might have been. Yeah, I don't yeah. think Toronto could get gets twenty four into a normal game. So I think you're right. It probably is a tournament record. But it was it was a, a great night, and I think it was definitely the highlight of the year pretty much for every Whitecaps fan looking back on it now. I mean, it, it wasn't a breeze. When the draw was made, we said at the time, oh, this, this could be Vancouver's year because you're facing potentially an all-CPL road to the final. And we know that they've come undone against CPL teams in the past. And I think they got a bit of criticism as well. Some folk were kind of downplaying the achievement, which pissed me off in a couple of ways. One, they don't value the CPL and the fact that in these cup competitions, the smaller side always rises to the occasion because they that's just how cup competitions are. But you can still only beat the team that's put down in front of you. And they did it well. And yeah, maybe Toronto weren't uh, a great TF side compared to previous years. But again, they did everything they needed to do. They lifted the trophy. I just think it was it was fantastic. I think the biggest letdown was that um, the York beating Pacific and not allowing that rematch yeah. to battle of BC. Yeah, that would have that would have been special, and that would have that made, that 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 made their victory even better. That would have completed a revenge tour for them yeah. as well. Oh yeah, uh, it would have been absolutely fantastic at least but the one thing about this when at least we didn't hear like like from some people that say oh they didn't even beat the sounders in the thing or something like that 
in the previous Voyager's Cup, which I, I remember hearing in some <laughs> really? chat rooms I saw from Vancouver people. But see, that's part of the problem. Like this tournament, it needs and it deserves a higher profile. We've banged on about this in our 10 years of the, of the podcast that it needs this. And then this coming season, you've TSS. got two new Vancouver teams in it. We've got yeah. TSS, we've got Vancouver FC, yeah. there's Pacific. So there's four BC teams in. So the chances that the Whitecaps are going to be playing a BC team in at least one, if not more, of the games is very, very high. Yeah, so, the thing is, with 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 building this the tournament, it's got to be a slow build. It has to be. You can't like imagine for people to jump on it right away. Um, the problem, though, is that uh, because it happened the last couple of years, it happened all over the place. And I think one year there wasn't even a champion until the next year or whatever it yeah, was. Um, that was yeah, that was the twenty twenty. Yeah. So it was all messed up for a couple of years. I felt like it was getting there, but now it's kind of, it kind of reverted back, and I think it's going to have to take a small build again. To get it back to where it was before, before it can really. Uh, the problem there, though, as well, is uh, we talked about it in the last podcast that if you're going to have something like this build up, like obviously it's not going to happen for Canada in, in Canadian soccer, but the number of tournaments that are out there, mm-hmm. it kind of diminishes every other uh, cup that there's. That, like, the Would more you, tournaments you have, the more it's going to diminish another cup. Which is sad because this is a, a legitimate, meaningful one. <laughs> No, no, I don't. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to be a problem in this case because I don't think there's going to be additional tournaments in Canada. But I'm just talking about overall that they 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 have a lot of cups right now, titles, and everybody's going to look at the MLS Cup as being the number one that the in Canada because of the fact that the top teams play in that league. Well, I mean, you, you've talked about it yourself, Steve. Like you, you're a big football fan, but even you find all the games and all the tournaments and everything that's going on a bit overwhelming at the moment, and it's like a casual fan is going to struggle to get into some of these tournaments, especially something like the Canadian Championship, because you're not seeing it on TV. You're only seeing it on one yeah. soccer. And, so and it's the other thing, hard to grow it. And you look at, if you want to grow it with the casual fan, they're used to playing, uh, watching, sorry, hockey, football, American football, um, basketball, and whatever other sports there are. And there's only one thing happening at a time in a season. There's no like inner inner league tournament that's happening else, elsewhere either. So it gets them, that's very takes, them a, takes them a time, take them time to get used to this kind of multi league or cups or tournaments yeah. in, in one professional league. Yeah. But I don't know that what I find happens with that is, you know, all the people who are new to it or, or don't understand the structure. They ask the, they ask the people who've been around for a while, what is this? And so you get to have great conversations about, what it is and why it's important and oh yeah and all that yeah but and those are the people that are coming in but i'm yeah. saying there's some people that won't even care because of the fact they won't yeah. even bother asking the questions because i mean we all know how important this tournament is because this win sees the white caps enter into the 2023 concacaf champions league and this is going to be their third champions league campaign they took part in it in 2015-16 after winning their first Voyager's Cup, they finished bottom of Group F on four points that time around after being drawn with the Sounders and Honduran side Olympia. They took part again the following season when it was the, the best placed finisher, I think, in MLS, or was it that they had had the reigning champions from the year before? I can't remember now why they made it, but they, they didn't obviously make it by winning the Voyager's Cup. But they were much better in that tournament. There's a lot of excitement. They won their group with a 100% record 
over Sporting Kansas City and Central FC from Trinidad and Tobago. And that set up a two-legged quarterfinal with New York Red Bulls, which they drew 1-0 in New York. And then they won 2-0 at BC Place. Better dead that, than red. Yes. That set up the big game, which I think we all remember and enjoy. That semi-final with Mexican Giants, Tigris, lost 2-0 in Mexico. Lost 2-1 at BC Place for a 4-1 aggregate loss. But Breck Shea had made it interesting when he scored three minutes in to make it a one-goal game on aggregate. But that that's what you're wanting. You're wanting the Whitecaps to be playing against these Giants. And that's what this tournament can do. And this time around, it's a new format. There's no groups. It's straight knockout. And it's an interesting draw for the white caps and I'm using interesting not in a oh this is really interesting I'm glad we've got such a big team it's just interesting in that when you looked at who they could have got this is a path that could give them a, a way ahead that they're facing Real España in the first round they were the caps with the higher seeds but due to a home show at BC Place they now have to play the first leg at BC Place on March 8th, and the second leg will take place in Honduras <clears throat> at San Pedro Sula a week later. Now, it's not ideal to switch that, because obviously, historically, being at home in the second leg is meant to be the advantage. But in this tournament, it doesn't always feel that way, and I actually don't mind them being at, leg, at home in the first leg. I don't like how they've got to that stage, but I think it might actually work in their favour. Really? Just with away goals being in play and stuff, because uh, like, right, but I mean, look look how many times like Montreal is a great example, and TFC and their runs and stuff as well. When the MLS teams have gone away from home and got that away goal, and that's been what's carried them over the line. Yeah, so if the no, Whitecaps I... know. Okay, well we we're holding a one or a two nil lead going into that second leg now. If we get an away goal, that's pretty much it put to bed. As long as they can keep a clean sheet at home, then I think this actually kind of plays in their favour. If they give up a goal in the first leg, that's where it gets a little bit more tricky. Now, Real España qualified by finishing third in the 2022 CONCACAF League. They finished fourth in the Honduran League Apertura in 2022, nine points back from the winner's Olympia. Now, the Clausura gets underway on January 22nd, so what that means is by the time the first leg comes around yeah. in March to BC Place, Real España have played 11 league games this year to yeah. Vancouver's two. So that is always a cause for concern. Yeah, which is something that, I mean, this has been a conversation for how many years for the MLS teams? Where the, you know, Mexican and Central Central American and I think Caribbean teams even uh, have, a, have an advantage in terms of uh, the form that they're in. Yeah, it, I mean, there's no great time for this. And now with the League's Cup, that looks to be a, a staple every August now. This isn't going to change anytime soon. I mean, it's not ideal, Steve. And we have seen teams in MLS the last couple of seasons that have been taking part in Champions League struggle in MLS duty in the early going as well. And some of them just haven't recovered over the course of the season. Yeah, it's a concern, but hopefully they... They go go in into training with a good mindset. They're ready to go, and if sometimes 
it can be actually an advantage because they'll be fresh and everything. And it depends on what the other team's schedule is. Well, they're, they're certainly going to be well prepared for going into this season because they've got a much tougher pre-season set up than, than we saw in 2022. If they get through this first round matchup, then they're going to play the winners of LAFC or Costa Rican side Aloenzi in April. Now, you kind of wanted to avoid LAFC if possible. We do have a good record against them, though, at BC Place, and it's getting better down in LA. It's an exciting one. It's a, This tournament, I just feel, it's a great chance to put the Whitecaps on the map. We've seen now with the Sounders going to represent CONCACAF in the Club World Cup in February as well, folk will see, oh, that's what that pathway leads to. And when you actually physically see it in a team that you know and are rivals and you play against, hopefully it won't be as hard a sell for the fans. But I think the Whitecaps might have a, a bit of work to do to sell tickets for that first leg against Real España. Yeah, it's um, March 8th. What is that? Is that a Wednesday? I think it's a Wednesday. I'll check yeah. that just now. But... Yeah, that's always a challenge, but... Uh, hopefully they can, hopefully they can uh, get the people out. the 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 LAFC potential that that'll be fun. The uh, how how does anyone know how Max is doing his recovery? He's going to be like a a long long time still, right? Yeah, he he's not going to be. Like, he'll be out for like a year almost, right? I, 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 not not really a year. He could be out probably till the summer. My guess. Hmm. Uh, that'll give him six months to recover. And do we know it's who a little bit different in? for goalkeepers to uh, in the recovery process? That, well, the guy, the guy that the um, shootout guy. Yeah, he's he's going to be their starter, and, and I believe they did bring in another keeper. The shootout guy thought it was only good at shootouts. <laughs> well, I, I guess they will find out pretty we'll quickly. Out. <laughs> well, if, if they brought in, if they did bring in another high-profile guy, if it's a high-end guy. Then yes, I would probably say that he could. Maybe their diagnosis is he's going to be gone longer. But yeah. I, I would have thought that six months is good enough. Um, it wasn't a high end guy. I think it was an up and coming. If I remember it, a young guy that they've brought in. in yeah, because the, the thing is, is like, like the, it take, the the biggest thing with these kind of breaks and everything. Uh, I I look back to like a Luke Shaw who broke his ankle, and it took him a very long time to come back. Because but they were making cuts and everything down the pitch. The outfield players. Goalkeepers don't really have to make, but he needs his strength to, you know, get into those leaping shots. So that's that's where I would uh, wonder if how long it's going to take. Uh, my guess would be six months, but of course, I only play the doctor on podcasts. Yes, I'm having a look. I can't see who it is. Oh, they picked a draft pick as a goalkeeper. A goal, yeah, I knew okay. that. They I knew, yeah, I knew they brought someone in. Yeah, Jasim Koleliat or something like that from the University uh, of Jasser. New Hampshire. Well, uh, surely a player named Jasser is going to be great. Jassim, actually. Oh, Jassim. Okay, yeah. that's From better United than United Arab Emirates. Well, no, I was just thinking about that's where, Yeah, that's why I'm thinking that I don't think, oh, like I said, yeah. if the, unless they brought in somebody huge, I don't think he's going to be. Because if he's definitely gone for the full year, then they would have brought somebody in. Yeah, so John McCarthy is going to be their starter. I would imagine they're probably going to add another backup. Uh they, they're going to have to. It's going to be an older veteran guy that can challenge McCarthy. And yeah, they'll see how it goes. I'm pretty sure on Instagram I saw Max doing some kind of gym work and strengthening work. So I don't think, I think it's a, a speedier thing than it, than it might be as the worst case scenario. But I think it could still be a while. They just, we just need him ready for 2026, right? Yeah, that's fine. Or Dane Sinclair. 
or Thomas Asal. It's up for grabs, you've got to say, for 2026. Anyway, we'll talk about that in a, another show. That was the highlight to the, the Whitecaps year. The MLS wasn't as great a season for the Whitecaps. We'll be back with a brief review of the Whitecaps 2022 Major League Soccer season after we bring you the song that's made it to number three in AFTN's Festive 15 for 2022. If you haven't listened to any of the previous shows, basically I've picked my favourite 15 tracks of the year. We're playing them in full at the start of every part for December and for this show as well. Who's got the three? Who's got the two? Who's got the one? We'll find out one of those after this. Hi, I'm Tristan Blackman, and this is the AFTN Soccer Show.
Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it was the song that made it to number three in AFTN's Festive 15 for 2022. English band Suede, their third entry in the top 15 from their album that was released in September, Auto Fiction. That is What Am I Without You? And I said I was playing all the songs in full. I played half of that one because it's a six and a half minute song. I was thinking you maybe didn't want to sit through all six and a half minutes, especially the ends more. Just cut that down a little bit, but hope you enjoyed that one. We've got two more songs to go. Who have made it into the top two? Find out at the start of part three and part four. But in this part, we're going to wrap up our Whitecaps year in review with a look at the Whitecaps 2022 MLS season. The Whitecaps finished ninth in the Western Conference, which was three places worse than 2021. They finished 17th overall in Major League Soccer. They had 43 points, six less than 2021. 12 wins, the same as the season before. Seven draws, which was six less than the season before. And 15 losses, which was six more than the season before. So you see the importance of those draws falling into defeats where they couldn't get anything from them. 40 goals for, which was five goals less in 2021. 57 against, which was 12 more, and that was the killer. Their goal difference in 2021 was zero. And in 2022, it was minus 17. It's kind of incredible to think that they were still really in the mix up to the last game for a side that had, going into that last game, a minus 15 goal difference. But here they were. It's When you look at how they played and how they... If we, if we just look at the stats, first of all, and how what I've just read out compared in every category worse to 2021, do you look at it as a season of regression? How, how can you not? Because I do feel that the team that finished the 2022 season, personnel-wise, was better than the team personnel-wise that finished the 2021 season. So I do feel they've advanced the strength of the the start in 11, but they had such a slow start that we'll get into that it, it just made everything else fall by the wayside. I, I do feel they regressed, but I feel they're in a better position now going into 2023 than they were at the end of 2021 to go into 2022. They absolutely regress, Michael. But I I still don't know how you can feel that they're in a better position when like they haven't even replaced the the, the top goal scorer from last year. Like considering how many goals he scored, is that gonna be very difficult to do? I, I Well for yeah, for them for them it yeah, it will be. Well, well, maybe, but I'm just saying, like on on uh, in general terms, it would be very difficult to replace their top goal scorer. It shouldn't be, but it also shouldn't that maybe be done by now? Yeah, like, that that is a a concern. I've got to say, but then they might be waiting. There might be a guy that they're targeting in Europe that, uh, and we've seen this before. And it's not just with the Whitecaps; it's other MLS teams. They're the number two choice for the player. But they're wanting to maybe see if they can get a deal in Europe in the January transfer window. It's not ideal, but if it means they get a good player out of it, I'm happy to wait. The danger, of course, is they then lose the player and they've got a bit of a rush 
on their hands to kind of fill that spot. Oh, and the other problem is, like so many times before, it becomes, a, oh, yeah, no, that person's going to come in, in July. Yeah. Because if we look at the scorers, there was 15 different players that scored. And a lot of that, of course, falls into Vanny saying he doesn't have a start in 11. He's got a start in 22. So there was a lot of squad rotation. So there was a lot of players played. Kava led the team with nine goals. And as Steve said, it's not a lot for your leading scorer, especially for a designated player striker. And then Ryan Gold was next with eight. My, my big problem is with the assists because 16 different players registered assists and gold led with nine so eight goals nine assists ryan gold we talked about it when we did our awards easily the white cats player of the season is that only in mls or is that combined no, like just all? mls i'm just looking at, oh, okay, at yeah, mls stats for, for this but so see, that's, after, that's 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 a that's a goal production every other game yeah i mean you take that but then yeah. the drop-off is frightening because next in assists was Christian Dahomey before. And my feeling is he didn't have a good season, didn't contribute much, didn't play that much. Yeah, and he, after was that, lost, he, he was a lost player, Dahomey. Yeah. He was obviously David Caicedo, who everybody had high expected, but it had that injury. Yeah, that, that it knocked him out of the year. That was possibly a killer for them. But then after Dahomey, the, the Raposo and Louise Martins are the next assisters with three. So. When you're trying to figure where things went wrong, you've got to look at the creativity that is just lacking. Okay, but the, the homemade the homemade thing is, well, I mean, we said it from the beginning, and Vanny finally owned up to it at the end of the year that, you know, it was because they were playing him in the wrong position, <laughs> right? So it's yeah. like, it, how much how much of Cavs minutes up top does does the homey see, and how does that? increase his production and synergy with other players. We, we know as well, Vanny's not a big fan of wingers. <laughs> He's kind of made that clear. The, in his system, he doesn't necessarily feel that wingers have a place, which is interesting because it, Axel had spoken about maybe looking to add a, a, a winger in, as one of the four positions that he was looking to add in. So unless the system's changing... You're looking for the midfield to be creative. And this goes back to then what I was saying. If you look at who could be starting in the midfield, like Alessandro Schopf, we never saw the best of him. Um, he had a little chat with the Whitecaps website saying that it was a, it was a tough transition to the league, but he hopes to, to hit the ground running and hopefully we'll see the best of him. So if you can look that you've got Schopf and Gold and if you, if you have... See, Kubas. Yeah, Kubas as well as that destroyer. And then you're looking at Gresso on one side and then who knows on, on the other side, Caicedo hopefully. The creativity should be there and I feel that that's a much better middle than the middle that finished the 2021 season. But we are relying on Schopf to kind of show his thing. And Caio Alejandri who will come to in the next part, he's gone. We had high hopes for him to be that guy that was going to step up, and that never happened. I mean, we've got to be brutally honest. We might never see the best of Schopf. He looks great, but he might be one of these guys that just doesn't make the transition to, to MLS for whatever reason. On the flip side, he might be, and then he becomes a great addition. Almost a new signing, you could say. 
<laughs> um, uh, for me, the the biggest thing is uh, going into this, like w- going back to the last year and this year, is where did they play Dahomey and Kai, so Diver yeah. Kaiseido? Are they the strikers that are going to go with White and one other player? Are the four the, the four, four players going to be forming that? If they play two up top, is that what they're going to look at? So that's the biggest thing for me is where do those two guys go? Or do those guys leave and move on and they bring in some other players that actually play wing back? I, I, I can see Dahomey going. I, I think they're very high still in Caicedo. And it's been a it's been a tough two years for him because he, he took so long to settle in his first year with his family not being able to come with them. Then they came, he was flying, he was came into the season full of confidence and then he got that injury and it, it's been really tough for him. Now, him and Dahomey link up really well. So if you do then get rid of Dahomey, would that impact Caicedo both on and off the pitch? But... I I could see if they want to get rid of one of them, it being Dahomey, because he's on a big ticket. But maybe they they feel that Dahomey's going to be a guy that they can then utilise up front with White. Could Dahomey yeah. and White together work? But then Caicedo also needs time up front because they're not playing him as a winger too, right? Yeah, it's going to be... They're, like 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 Michael said, they're going to they have a starting 22. You're going to have four strikers then. And you got White, you got put Dahomey in there, Caicedo, and then you bring one other player. That's your four that are going to play up top. But what about, and then so Betcher's fifth, I guess? Yeah, he, he'll be the guy that comes off the bench. I he'll mean, be, he might yeah, get yeah, the odd start here and there, but. Well, I, I see him more dropping down to WFC 2 and then maybe going to the playing in the other leagues or whatever, um, like the Voyager's Cup or stuff like that. That's where mm. I see him starting. Because, I mean, We've only seen a brief glimpse of him at the top level and he didn't look out of place, but you often see that in one game. It's not it's not a great sample size to know that he can do that week in, week out. Because if you look at some of the other guys we've had over the years, like Theo Bear, like never maybe quite reached the, the levels that we thought he was going to. And he struggled over in Scotland. He's he lost being a regular starter. He's just getting a few minutes off the bench, and I I watched the highlights actually of Tim Johnson's game today with Dundee United, and he had a couple of looks of goal late on, but then that's tough for a striker when you've not been playing to be effective in like a ten minute spell off the bench. So I heard it's the all haggis diet he's on. It could be. I I did recommend that to him. You can't go wrong with it. Well, or maybe you can. <laughs> I mean, if he fancies dropping down three levels, East Fife could do with a lone striker at the moment, so I, I could maybe put him on the radar. I'm sure he would love me to put him into a relegation battle in the bottom division with a chance to drop out of the of the football league altogether. With one of the It'd worst be a life fan experience. bases. Yeah, one of the worst fan bases that'll be on your back for the slightest thing that you do wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'll get Greg McDonald to get in touch with him. Anyway, for the Whitecaps... They had a poor start, and it's been talked about a lot. You look at the first eight games, they were terrible. You look at the last 26 games, and they were amongst the best in MLS. Second in the West, I think it was, altogether. And that's and those, like two years, two years in a row like that. Yeah. And, and, you're going and th- that's the worry year. for this year as well, with the Champions exactly. League as well. Exactly. You're going into a year where historically teams in the Champions League, no matter how well or how poorly they do in the Champions League, have a slow start in the league. Yeah, no matter should, how talented so should, the teams so, are as well. Exactly. So what should, should people expect anything different? Like, 
I do I do worry about that start to the year, I've got to say. And I think it's it's such a a key time for the Whitecaps this year in particular when you've got some games on TV, but not all the games on TV, that a lot of people will just look at the standings and be like, meh, I'm not going to head along to that. And we'll get in a little bit about the the schedule in the next part as well, which is horrendous in, in spells. But those first eight games, they were awful. It was four points from 24. One win, one draw, six defeats, starting off with that horrible 4-0 loss in Columbus. We were like, whoa, this team looks all over the place, but it's away from home. It's the first game. Maybe they can turn it around. And, and they didn't. And the, I mean, there's no denying those first eight games. It, it killed their season. And there's other things you can look at later on as you can always do for points that were lost at home and in key games. But those eight, for, for if you're looking at a big chunk of the season, that's what killed the, the Whitecaps' 2022 season. No doubt. And then, uh, and the biggest thing for me about this season is not beating the teams or being the opposition, especially at home, and not beating when you're supposed to beat them. If they could do that, if they, if they could have done that, they easily would have been in the playoffs at that point, obviously. But everything's like if with these guys. Um, that, that's they, what it's, it's been just, for it's years. Just, it's just a lack of consistency with this team, no matter who, how many changes they make or who's in charge of the team. It's just odd that it always fits down to like play a consistent game all the way you're through and you'll be in the playoffs. Well, they never had more than two wins in a row until the, that run-in when they had the, the three home wins in a row from September 14th to October 1st, where they beat the Galaxy, they beat the Sounders, they beat Austin. Prior to that, their best they had got was back-to-back wins, and that is not going to be sustainable. Their worst losing spell, they had two of them, where they had three losses in a row from April the 9th to the 23rd, and then the 27th of August to September the 10th. But... That's the, the, that's the Voyager's Cup of a losing streak that they do every time they want it to mm-hmm. the, But I think I think one other thing about this, you know, the poor start and whatever, it also goes back to the the them, I think, putting so many eggs in the in the Brian White basket. Like I think with Cava they were stuck and whatever. Yeah. But like I mean, when you have a, a Nicholas Overhaul, right, who's supposed to be the you know, this great you know, analyst and stats person and whatever. It was very obvious, and we we talked about it lots that he overachieved the year before, mm-hmm. and you reward him big they, time for they, it. Exactly, like and like, I'm sorry, but it seemed like they over rewarded him. Like, sure, a pay raise, a contract extension, whatever, but it seemed like it was yeah. It seemed it seemed foolish at the time, and well, it yeah, foolish last year, and that might change this year, obviously, but. Like I, I, I don't know. Going into last year, we, we I said it lots on the show, and you know he is going to regress to to his means because he was, was totally out, I think outperforming like his uh, his expected goals crazily. Oh in yeah, that, in I the, mean that that was the outlier season in his whole career. And if you're looking yeah. at oh, analytics, yeah. you look at that and you go, well, that's an outlier. So you take away his best season, you take away his worst season, and then you kind of look at the rest, and to reward him so much for doing that I know they were maybe worried that they were going to lose him and you want to have player retention but there's a way of doing it and with strikers it's always so dangerous to do that 
Yeah, and and the thing is, everybody knew he was going to regress. The problem is, is that nobody else stepped up. Um, you had Dahomey had a bad season. Cavallini still didn't prove like what he was supposed to, what he was getting paid. Um, so, but if you look at Brian White too, yes, he only had four goals in MLS, but you had those three in the Canadian Championship. He's up to seven, and then he's basically two off Cavallini. And for mm-hmm. me, I remember going into last year, I was saying if he gets even half the number of goals he got. That's gonna be good enough. He also so, yeah, wasn't well, fully fit for a, a ch- for chunks of the season. He came into the season with a, an injury, and then he had some other stuff during the season as well. So I mean, if he can stay healthy, I mean, th- th- this will be the season that's the real test for Brian White. Was twenty twenty one the Brian White in a Whitecaps jersey that we should get used to, or was twenty twenty two? So I guess we'll get a, a gauge. The killer spell though for the Whitecaps. Outside of those first eight games, it was in the summer, July 8th to September 10th, 12 games, just two wins and 10 points taken from a possible 36 on offer. And that included three big home defeats to Minnesota 3-1, Chicago 3-1 and Nashville 3-0. Chicago, the worst of that in many ways because they weren't a great team. But then Minnesota and Nashville, your playoff rivals that you then gave a bit of a spark to as well. And those were the massive losses. And those were also just that, that spell of games is just what, what did them in. Yeah, one essentially one win out of those three and they're in the playoffs. That's all it takes. And, yep. and, and that's where that's where we're talking about consistency. Like they, Those are all three games they should have won or at least got points out of. Um, obviously, it still would have made that you know that 10 game stretch you're talking about any better if they've just gotten points out of all of them but if they got points out of them that's good enough at that point so it's it's just disappointing that they just don't feel like the team doesn't seem to ever get together throughout the whole year but i guess a lot of mls teams are like that yeah there's a lot of streaky streaky bits in every team's season but it just seems it just seems to be all the time with the Whitecaps that we have these spells that you can look yeah. back and pinpoint, oh, if, we, if we'd only managed to get a few points from that spell or whatever or turn those games around. And I know every club can do that, but we don't care about other clubs. We're just talking about the Whitecaps. Well, when you when you compare a Vancouver team to, the, like, let's say, Sounders, another team that missed the playoffs, the Sounders looked more way more dangerous throughout the whole year. They just happened yep. to, like, just, like, fall flat on their faces by the end of the year. But... But they still looked like dangerous, even though they weren't on a playoff team by the end of it. Yeah, us suddenly finding our our chops in the last few weeks of the season is not a sustainable way of being a playoff team. And it it was proved this year that you need to get those results and other things as well, and especially at home. And we'll, we'll look a little bit ahead to 2023 in the next two parts. That is pretty much it for our, our MLS roundup. I just want to touch on a couple of other Whitecaps things from the year for year in review. WFC 2 were back. They had a strong start and then they fell off a bit. They finished third in the Pacific Division of MLS Knicks Pro with 32 points from the 24 games. Seven wins, eight draws, nine defeats. Finished 17 points back of divisional winners Tacoma Defiance. 40 goals for, 40 goals against. They were seventh in the West with the top four advancing and then they were 16th of the 21 teams overall. Simon Betcher led the team with eight goals and four assists. 
Giovanni Aguilar and Emiliano Brienza had four goals each. Ali Ahmed led the team with five assists and obviously Betcher and Ahmed won MLS contracts for their performances. Now, we should stress here, and the Whitecaps are keen to point out, results for WFC2 matter not a jot to them. They don't care where they finish in the conference. They don't care if they make the playoffs or not. Although, obviously, it's a good experience for the players if they have that. This team is solely there to develop players for the first team. It's been so long since we had that. It's great that it's back. And if they can produce two MLS quality players from that team every season, then I I think it's going to be a success. I think one oh, for would sure. be a success. Yeah, even one would be as well. And I'm excited I, I to see Ali that. Ahmed in MLS. I agree with that. They, 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 there's no, like, if they play, if they play the right way, like the way they want to play at the big league, that's the big thing. You want that transition from the, you know, the WFC to, to the White Cap, so everybody's playing the same system. And as long as they're playing the same system, if that's fine. But if they can win playing the same system, it's a bonus for sure. And I but, think but they, the... And the, I guarantee the coaches and the players are striving for that, even though the front office is saying it doesn't matter to them. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I agree about the, the winning is not important with that. But did they not uh, have divergent systems last year, at least at some point? Yeah, D- Dazzle was told that he could play whatever system he wanted that he felt was best for the players. So, like, you oh, know Dazzle know. wants to win. You know all <laughs> these players are wanting to win. And the best way to catch the eye of Vanni Sartini and the first team staff is to get those wins and to perform in those wins and to get those goals and those assists. So it kind of goes hand in hand as well. I didn't know that, that they were playing different systems. Yeah, they, they were playing the same. I, no, they I, were, I, a, they I were able it. to. I, I think they started out the same, Steve. I, I don't agree with that personally myself. Like, what's the yeah. then what's the point of having a developmental system? I, 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 agree, with, I agree with Steve that it's nice that, you know, we, we know Dasso, so it's nice for him to have that freedom. But I, I agree. At a, I mean, I just watched the um, uh, over the break. My son and I just watched the the Feyenoord documentary on Disney Plus, mm. and this is one of the frustrations they had was, uh, or as they're looking at their club, is that they don't play the same all the way through. Or there was definitely like it felt like you know Dick Advocat in his final season like didn't give the attention and the care to the young to the younger players coming through. Like it was very obvious. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think you, the, the best way for your club, I, I agree with Steve, is that everyone is playing the same way so that you're preparing everyone to play for the first team. The The problem is, I, 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 this hard, one, I think that's harder in, in, uh, in football in this era. Uh, and two, um, I think that, well, yeah, I, yeah, I think obviously I, Dasso would not play the way that that Vandy plays. No, if, he, if you know if it was if it was his choice, which that's to me, it's not a, not the end of the world, but it's not an ideal situation. No, and there's a lot of players moved on from WFC too, so there'll be a lot of new faces come into the the squad for this year as well. But yeah, it's great to have the team back. We spoke to Axel; so they are going to get rebranded, and everything's going to kind of come under the first team. When is the rebranding? Else. I would think probably February or March before the next MLS coming this year. season. Yep, so it's definitely coming this year. Um, the other new league for the Whitecaps to play in, of course, was League One BC. And the under-19 on the boys' side and what 
was basically the under-17 on the girls' side, where had their inaugural season. The boys finished third in the regular season with 16 points from their 12 games and a 4-4-4 record, missing out on the championship game, which was the top two teams. The girls, though, finished second in the regular season by a point to reach the championship game. They won that 2-1 over Varsity FC in a big upset at Swangard Stadium on BC Day at the start of August. Two goals in the last six minutes. Iba Oching, Geneva Hernandez-Gray. Fantastic performance by the team who were gutted halfway through when all their seniors moved to down to the NCAA in university. They were playing with 15 and 16-year-olds for the second half of the season and in that championship game. Right behind the Canadian championship win, that is right up there with the Whitecaps' achievements for 2022. Really pleased for, for Katie Collar and all the girls on that side. And of course, the women are going to have a new team to hopefully play for when everything is finalised in 2024 with a new Project 8 Women's League in Canada that we talked about back in episode 538. And we had a good chat with Steph LeBay, the new Whitecaps General Manager of Women's Soccer, about that league and her role at the club as well. So we covered a lot about women's soccer in that show. One thing we didn't find out, though, was does Steph LeBay fancy a chocolate digestive? We always say you're not officially part of the White Caps until you've answered this question on the show. Uh oh. <laughs> if you're sitting down at home and you want to have a hot beverage, what's your hot beverage of choice? A tea, a coffee, hot chocolate? Oh, um, depending on the time of year. If you're talking right now, it's definitely a well, it depends on the time of day. Morning, coffee, maybe with a splash of Bailey's. At night, maybe it's hot chocolate with a splash of Bailey's. (laughs) As long as it's got a splash of Bailey's. It's the December tradition. (laughs) Of course. And if do you have a sweet tooth? Like, Do you like biscuits, as I would call them, and cookies? I I have more of a salty tooth. Like popcorn and chips is my weakness. Oh, so what would you have then if you're sitting down with your your hot drink? What what would your go-to snack be to have with it? Yeah, it's not a popcorn for sure. If If I could have some homemade, like homemade popcorn with butter and nutritional yeast on it. Mm. <laughs> oh, interesting. Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? So Steph LeBay there, who doesn't like some Baileys in their hot chocolate or whatever at this time of year? I know I've certainly had a a few little shots in mine in the past few weeks. That is pretty much it for our Whitecaps look back at 2022. All aspects of the, the club from the first team down to the League One BC sides. We're going to look ahead in parts three and four to the 2023 season. Let's set that up just now, guys. What would be your your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations for the Whitecaps for 2023? Let's start with Steve. Obviously, playoffs would be a very, very aspirational. But for me, mostly it's off the pitch. It's like and it's going to happen really soon. Get the team together as soon as possible with the, with the players you want for the full year. I think that's my biggest wish because I want to see – I don't want to see too many changes. I want to see them together. 
in training and basically ready to go right off the season. And that will obviously help with the playoff run. Yeah, this is I, where I you like that. this is where you can play the the I believe in miracles. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we've, it, we've got it, some new additions that that we'll talk about in the, the coming parts. But yeah, it would be nice to have our designated player striker if that is indeed the designated player that is coming in. In the striking position, and I'm okay with one or two players not coming in right away, but I'm saying the majority of the team. I, I think I, you need ninety percent of the team ready to go. Yeah. Um, is the Spain thing happening? Yeah, they they are they're going to Spain, so was, they're they're getting back to training. Did I, did I miss that announcement? I don't know if they've officially announced it, but they they, they come back to training this Friday. So on January the sixth, they're back for their medicals. That's going to be on the Friday. Then they're on the pitch the first time on Monday the 9th it's kind of like media day as well so we're all heading along to that one up at at UBC and then on the 10th they fly to Spain for 12 days right and they're they're just like uh, training and sightseeing or like they got actual friendlies they've got some games uh, against local sides lined up as well they're going to be based out of Marbella they're flying into Malaga and then I've I've told them they've got to go and see Gibraltar because it's just a little hop over to Gibraltar and it's a, a great experience so it's going to be good team bonding but it's also going to be some games against some second third levels reserve sides of, of La Liga teams and Spanish teams so they are going to get a bit of a test out there they're certainly going to get put through the paces it's not a holiday it's not going to be like Hawaii <laughs> oh man but um I, I I know you're focused on Vancouver FC but what would be your your hopes for the white caps for this year. I just hope they take the steps that they need to do. Yeah, I, I no, think that's I what mean, everyone's no, going Honestly, about. honestly, for the for the fans of the white caps, I hope that. Um, I, I've been listening to some of the episodes I missed, Mike, when I was gone, and um, uh, to quote, um, what's what's our friend? The pod is round. The ca- oh, the ball is round. Ball is round. Eve, right? So I was listening to some of your your conversation with Eve recently. And I think I think I hope for for, for the fans of Vancouver that they get a, a designated player who is sparkly. I think is what Eve would say would say because <laughs> I think they I think they need that. I think that the approach over the years hasn't worked. Uh, and I would agree with Eve that you know Ryan Gold is sparkly, um, but uh, but they need I think someone that people. We'll drop we'll draw people in just by by who they are and not just because they're, they're a quality footballer. Although ideally they're both. Um, and I'm not saying yeah, like I don't think great... you need to break the bank. No, but it would be not. nice to have a, a recognizable <laughs> performer it that has break... performed. Yeah. It doesn't have to break the bank. It just some someone that people can identify with. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they fill out that roster. I think that's. That's there's there's I think some significant needs there. I I would love like my my ideal season would be a good run in the Concacaf Champions League and at least the semi-finals in the MLS playoffs. Which it still hasn't been convinced or conveyed sure. as to whether the playoffs have have changed into this group stage that they've been talking about. But it looks everything's pointing that it's going to be that. But if we Sorry, can get could- a a good run in the Champions League. I'd love that. Did you just say semi-finals in the playoffs? Yeah, at least because I like just making the playoffs and going out in the first round. I don't give a toss about that. It's like so for no, me, oh, for it to be valued, you've got to get past that. 
So under the old format, that you want them to win two rounds. Yes. Wow. I don't so, think it's going to happen. This is what I someone want. Has their, yeah, this, someone has their hopes. It's, it's like what I, what I said at the end of the season. We've got to take that step. We're in 2023 now. We've been in this league since 2011. We've got to take this step. To me, the step is getting to at least a Western Conference final. But because of how crap it's been the last few seasons, I would take a semi-final. Obviously, things look like they're changing with the playoff format. But we've got to take that step. Otherwise, there is a danger that the White Cats are just an irrelevance, not just in Major League Soccer, but in the local market, as much as I hate using that word. But they've got to have a season on the pitch. And as Axel said when we we spoke to him in the Christmas show about his wishes for Christmas, a quiet year off the pitch with no more scandals and that everything just moves on and we take that step forward. That's what I'm looking for for the White Cats. But we are going to look a little bit ahead now to that 2023 season that is coming up rapidly. And we're going to be back with that after the song that's made it to number two in AFTN's 2022 Festive 15. Hi, I'm Stephanie LeBay, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's number two in AFTN's Festive 15 from 2022. A three-piece band from Chicago, Illinois, former Artist of the Month here at AFTN. That was Horse Girl and a song taken from their versions of Modern Performance debut album that was Anti-Glory. I just absolutely love the start, the guitar riff in that song and that's one of the things that's taken it up to number two in our top 15 tracks of last year. Got a chance to see them here in Vancouver a, a few months back as well and excellent performance. Looking forward to seeing what they go to do with their sophomore album. And I guess the, the term anti-glory kind of sums up what the, the Whitecaps MLS era has been so far, from 2011 to 2022. Will that change anything come 2023? Well, the, the fixtures for the 2023 season came out the earliest than we've ever seen them before they came out before christmas which meant it was nice to be able to to plan ahead and for those that maybe want to take in some away games book some trips in the boxing day sales perhaps let us know if you were able to take advantage of that the mls regular season will kick off at home on saturday february 25th for the whitecaps they will take on real salt lake it will end at home for the Caps on October 21st against LAFC. If they're needing to get something from that one to make the playoffs, that's possibly one of the toughest opponents they could have to close out the regular season. The 14 Western Conference teams will play two games against each intra-conference opponent. The Whitecaps will play an extra game against their Cascadian rivals Portland and Seattle, as well as six matches against Eastern teams, and that includes Montreal at home in April and Toronto away in September. The majority of the games in the 2023 season for the Whitecaps will be played on a Saturday. There will be some select Wednesdays, all with 7.30pm local start times, and that's because of the Apple deal and them wanting to have all the games in the East kicking off at the same time, all the games in the West kicking off, at the same time so they can have a whip-around show. In the 34-game regular season, the Whitecaps will play 26 games on a Saturday, 13 at home, 13 away. There's going to be seven matches played on Wednesdays, three at home and four away, and one home game on a Sunday. The 2023 schedule includes three weekends where the Whitecaps won't have a match, These dates come in conjunction with the international soccer calendar, so that's from June the 16th to the 18th, because the FIFA international window is from June 12th to the 20th. September 9th to 11th, because that window is from September 4th to the 12th. And October 13th to 15th, with the FIFA international window from October 9th to the 17th. Few things to to talk about from uh, the Whitecaps in in terms of that schedule. We'll get into that shortly, but before that, I just want to play you a little bit of thoughts from Whitecaps head coach Vanni Sartini on the Whitecaps 2023 schedule. 
The schedule came out yesterday. Just wanted to, to get your thoughts on it, and in particular that horrendous six-game road spell at the end of August into September. And is there a particular reason that you're away for those six games, or is it just how things worked out? Uh, well, I don't know if it's a particular reason because at the end we're away for a lot because there's the league's cup first, and then we play in the end of July. And then basically uh, end of August once, and then basically we're off in September. But uh, you know, I don't know, probably because September is so beautiful here that people wants to go on the beach or whatever, and they, they don't do, they don't want to come to see the White House. No, but uh, jokes aside, yeah, it's gonna be very hard at that time. But there's two things. At the end is 17 games uh, home and 17 games away, so that's okay. And I'm not that uh, I would say unhappy with that six game stretch away because we have all the Eastern travel in those six stretch and two of them that will be combined, probably Chicago and New York. So we'll never have like those. Uh, I think it's worse when you have uh, uh, you play in Vancouver, then you have to go to New York and then you have to come back maybe in the same week uh, to Vancouver again. So it's, uh, I think it's a, uh, had the responsibility to start very well because we're going to have more games home in the first uh, half of the season and um, and then to uh, also because we have the Champions League at the beginning hopefully we're going to play several games in the Champions League so it's better to have more home games at the beginning and uh, have some have, have a lot of points uh, in order to I don't want to say be secured, but uh, be, in a, be in a good spot when we'll have the six games uh, away in a row, you know, in, in, on a row. So just some quick thoughts there from Vanni Sartini on the schedule. I, I want to touch on two things uh, about the schedule just to, to finish talking uh, about the fixtures. The horrendous away stretch from August 26th to September the 3rd, Six games on the road, including two out east in Toronto and at New York City FC. It follows four straight games at home in league action between July 8th and August 20th. But in that period as well, there's the month-long League's Cup, which, with the Whitecaps not beating Minnesota, not being in the playoffs, mean the Whitecaps don't host a group. So they are on the road for that whole League's Cup tournament. So it's looking like the Whitecaps will have just one home game in a 72-day spell in late summer. Which, for keeping people interested in the team, never mind getting some money through the gate, but for keeping people interested in the team, it's absolutely shocking. That is unfortunate. But the biggest thing with that is, I'm assuming the League's Cup happens between July 15th to August 20th, right? Around that time. It's the, it, I think it kicks off the end of July for a month, for four weeks, and then it finishes just before the 20th. Yeah, I think it's something like the 15th to the 15th. Yeah, so, so something like that, whatever the case is. If you look at their away schedule, honestly, not it's not as bad as, as people would think of it when you're looking at it on paper. If it, August 28th, 26th to Portland, they come back to Vancouver, obviously quick trip there. Then August 30th and September 2nd, Chicago, New York. Then they have a two-week break in between and then they go toronto houston and salt lake uh with yeah so i mean so they've it's got not, the, they've got the international horrendous. break in there no but to, 
to I've not seen, have fans I've able seen, to get to be some yeah, place no, to watch them is what's horrendous. Yeah, that's the bad part. Like for them themselves, I don't think it's a huge thing. But yes, you're right. When there's a big break like that, you're not going to have fans coming in, and um, and and there's uh, this is the period of time too that you're going to have like people, you know, trans like transitioning to the Canucks at that point Mm. uh, because their season is about to start in October. So you're going to have a lot of people switching off, anyways. And if you don't get home games, you're going to you're going to lose that uh, crowd. Well, yeah, I mean, and, you're, you're giving the Lions the whole summer, basically, to yeah. to get the local fans in as well. And obviously, they had a good, if, good year this year if, or last if year. If I'm not mistaken, that's around the where the season ticket renewal thing happens, too, around yeah. August. I mean, you don't want to be in a bad run at that time and then have all those tough games on the road either. But I, I just think from a, a fan's perspective, not getting to watch your team at home in that period is just not ideal. And then if we look at the Cascadia Cup fixtures, because obviously it's not balanced and the way that the schedule has worked out, then all the the three Cascadian teams are playing each other three times. So the Whitecaps play Portland at home on Saturday, April the 8th and May the 13th for Rivalry Week and then August 26th away at Portland as well. Then they're at home to Seattle on May 20th, which is also rivalry week, which seems to go more than a week, but there we go. They don't understand how long a week is at MLS. Then they're at home at Seattle on July 8th, and they're away on October 7th. So the supporters' groups aren't happy. The The groups from all three Cascadia clubs, they've agreed for the rules for the Cascadia Cup for 2023 with it being unbalanced, which is basically all the, the games will count, but they're wanting a balanced schedule. They they want the they're just either home and away for all the things and have more fixtures against say teams out east or or, or whatever. Obviously, MLS want more Cascadia Cup games because it's an easier sell for TV and there's the excitement around that. Do you like having three games, or would you want just balanced home and away? Well, you know what, if the supporter groups want to screw over MLS. Make the if they want to do it, make one of the games not the Cascadia Cup related. They used you to. know which one you yeah, do. That's what, that's the what they were doing. One. Yeah, they were that, doing that. You do that. the rivalry week. You say oh, that's not a Cascadia yes. Cup game, and yeah. they can sell it then on the TV. So they, you know. they, they've done that, Steve. They've done that. They've they, they made it not part of the Cascadia Cup. They've done it where they didn't do. I think even didn't do Tifo for for the, those games that were the rivalry week to kind of stick it to the league. And I guess they're trying a different approach this time. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say that, uh, no, you continually do that. That you, This is not a Cascadia Cup official match. And that's the way you, that's the way you get it done, if, the, if you want to do it. You stick to your guns every year. You don't change it up at all. The big positive, though, is every game's on a Saturday this year. So that there's is, no yeah, more stupid Fridays or midweek or Sundays that cause travel issues and for fans that then want to go and make the, the trips of it. I mean, I, I didn't get down to any of the games last year. So I hope to get down to at least a few of them. Just, just to end this part, the, the Whitecaps are, are going to be taking part in six competitions this year. So I just thought a chance for you to rank the, the importance of them. There's obviously MLS Cup. There's the regular season, the Supporters' Shield. There's the CONCACAF Champions League. There's the Cascadia Cup. There's the Canadian Championship, Voyager's Cup. And then there's the new Leagues Cup. In importance to you, 
Where, where would you rank them in, in one to six of if the Whitecaps were to win it, it would mean the most to you? I'll, I'll kick it off to give you a bit of time to wait, think. Wait, wait, can we, can we all agree that the League's Cup's on the bottom? No. Yeah. Um, I have it third. Like... The top three teams in the League's Cup qualify you for the CONCACAF Champions League. Right, right, right. Yeah. So you're actually qualifying for something. So why would yeah, you not well, want to be in a tournament that actually means something and gets you something at the end of it? Yeah, sorry, I forgot that. Like, like you forgot which competition. <laughs> yes, I was thinking it was the, the Club World Cup initially. But yeah, that would be awesome if it was that. I'd take that. And it might be for the expanded one that's coming up, to be honest. Eventually. So mm. you, you want to go first, Michael? Yeah, I, for, for me, the most important, if we were to win the CONCACAF Champions League, I think it's huge because it gets us into the Club World Cup. Then for me, it would be MLS Cup. Then it would be League's Cup because of what I just said, the qualification for the Champions League as well. The Voyager's Cup, which obviously gets you into the Champions League. Supporter Shield, it would qualify us for the Champions League as well as winning that with the new rules. It doesn't matter if you're American or Canadian. If you win it, you're in the Champions League. So I like that. I've never really cared about the, the support shield before because it ultimately means nothing. We know you're the best team in the regular season, but you don't get any real reward for that apart from a one first round bye. And then the Cascadia Cup I actually have last because, yeah, you've got bragging rights, but I'd rather have actual meaningful trophies over something that you can just go, hey, we're the best of three teams. Um, okay, so I have uh, Voyager's Cup number one. Uh, just because it's the, uh, the, the respect, National Steve. Cup. Respect. Um, MLS Cup number two, and uh, which will probably surprise you. Uh, and there's a certain reason I have it for this: is Supporter Shield number three. The reason why is because if you win the supporter, if the Whitecaps win the Supporter Shield, that means they had a hell of a season, and uh, yeah. that's what I'm looking for in consistency. Yeah, it's, it's been fun as well. <laughs> you have enjoyed yes, exactly. that season. Exactly. So that's number three. Then I'll go uh, Concacaf Champions League. And uh, uh, then Cascadia Cup, and then League Ch Cup is last, only because it's the newest one, and I want to see how it works before I even put it, like rank it. And also, it would if I put it any higher, I would deflate my rank, uh, uh, ranting of new cups being added on all the time. So that's that reason as well. League Cup number six, number six. Steve, I I like Steve's. Yeah, I like uh, Steve's too a lot. Not as much I, as mine, but I like Steve's. <laughs> I think I'll, I think so. I'm I'm gonna caveat this with, this is what not now my personal preference for me as a person. This is what I think Vancouver should prioritize in 2023. Uh, like the Whitecaps should prioritize. So I'll I'll say Voyagers Cup number one as well because, uh, it'll mean that they qualify for next year's Champions League again, and it'll mean that they, uh, yeah, solidify that that you know two years in a row which they've never done. So I'll put Voyager's Cup number one. I will put uh, CONCACAF Champions League number two because, like the Voyager's Cup, it's a short term. Like it's 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 a it's a. I think they only have four rounds to win it, and I don't think they're gonna win it. But I think that they should put that second. After that, I will say, uh, I will say MLS Cup. Um. And then Supporter Shield, then Cascadia Cup, and then League's Cup on the bottom. Because I think the, the like like you said, the Cascadia Cup, although over the years it has not proved this to be, but Cascadia Cup and Supporters 
shield if you do well in those obviously that puts you in a good place for you know mls cup yeah it does mean you've had a good season so let us know your thoughts as well i'd put that out on twitter before christmas as and well while we other, dig some the, of those answers out the other thing i'll say if you win the voyagers cup then it doesn't matter what you do in the league's cup that is true you've already qualified exactly it'd be nice to beat some mexican teams so, and have those games although it doesn't look like we'd be having them here in vancouver although for the later rounds if we get through the uh, we're definitely not hosting a group so I guess if we win a group it would possibly give us a chance to host some games but we'll, we'll see just makes it a, it's a tougher group stage anyway but that is it looking at the schedule we're going to look on the playing side in the last part of the show because there could be a new addition by the looks of it there's some definite new additions in the draft picks and we'll get thoughts of Axel and Vanny on that and we'll be back with all of that after this song that's made it to number one in the first ever AFTN Festive 15, after this. Hi, I'm Ryan Gold, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our first number one in AFTN's new Festive 15. Hope you've enjoyed the songs that we've played. You probably haven't. Especially those people that live up in Whistler that just like their country music. You know who, <laughs> you, know who you are. Constantly on me at Twitter. 
Anyway, that is the number one in AFTN's 2022 Fist of 15 from Russia with love. It's Ice Peak, Dead But Pretty, taken from their Kiss of Death album. Fantastic song, fantastic video. Check it out. Support the band out as well because they are banned in Russia for their anti-war stance and raising money for Ukrainian refugees and stuff as well. So go and support. I'm assuming the video they didn't actually film in the Kremlin then, the video. Probably not, no. I think that was a back screen because... Yeah. Although that gotta, was that was before the war had started, oh, just as the war started, so maybe they did get to do it. But yeah, the they got a big sting vibe happening for me. Oh yes, with the, the makeup. Ring. Yeah, with the makeup. Anastasia as well. Give her a follow on Twitter. Some great. It's, it's, great I'm not surprised. It's Michael's favorite song. The video has like basically zombies uh, in, involved, uh, um, and. Uh, uh, obviously, wrestling with the Sting thing, and then obviously uh, Russian lesbians, which is something that you're introduced. Oh yes, dead but pretty. Which Zach is looking just now. He's looking tired. I think he's still alive. No, he he hasn't passed away. It just looks like that. You can't see that on the show. It's been a it's been a long show for for Zach. Last part. We're going to look at some of the new players. We'll come to the draft picks in a sec. Uh, I, I say new player. It hasn't been 100% confirmed yet, but everything is but pointing... But also been rumoured for a long time too, so it's almost not starting to be not a new player. Yeah, I know. It's like the man from Free Bentos. We did our Free Bentos jokes with corned beef and everything and the, the meat pies. I talked about all that. Now it looks like he is going to be a white cap. 23-year-old Uruguayan, six-foot centre-back, a right-footed centre-back as well. Matthias Laborda. He's won three titles with Nacional in Uruguay. Made 101 appearances, six goals. Been capped with Uruguay under 18, under 20 and under 23 levels. It's a free transfer from Nacional. It was looking like San Lorenzo were set to sign him, but the word coming out in the last week from South America is that they couldn't meet the Whitecaps' wages that they were going to pay him. So it looks like he has chosen MLS. It's, I would say it's like 98% done. He hasn't got his Canadian visa yet. He's expected to get that soon. He's expected to join <laughs> the team in Spain. I know we're laughing at that, but it's South American. How hard can it be for them to get the visas? Let's find out. He can also play right back as well. He should join the team in Spain, so... What Steve's wanting, getting the getting the band together early. I are you surprised that they've gone for a right footed centre back? What's it gonna mean for Tristan Blackman? Is he gonna be playing out of position on the left? Will he play in the middle? Are we gonna add a left footed centre back? What will that mean for Ranko? Discuss. Yeah, if 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 they if they bring in uh if they bring in a left another I know I talked about before the I thought Ranko still is, could be a starter. But if if they bring in a left-sided guy then or left-footed guy, then I definitely see Ranko moving on. I I don't see him being a bench player. There's no point in having him on the bench. They have I feel like they have enough bench depth anyways. So definitely I see that moving on. Um, I personally think that Blackman could play on the left side. Um, He's not going to be playing left back. He's going to be playing left side and center back. Which I yeah. I think that there is a possibility for that to happen because so we're, we're we're assuming Vanny sticks with his favorite three at the back. I know he tinkered with a yeah. four, but no, I think yeah, but, but his four it was like a fake four. He would say, yeah. Anyways. I yeah. mean, I guess if he does go four at the back, Blackman's the right back. Yeah, right. When exactly. you're doing that, and then we're just looking probably Martins as as the the left back or or Gutierrez. I mean, his his 
ratings and people that's done all the scouting on him. He looks a top quality player and a great addition. And if he was a left-footed centre-back, it would be just, you feel it would be ideal. But I like this. Axel had said that if Derek Cornelius moved on, then they could put more money into their target centre-back or add two centre-backs. Well, we'll either see whether they've had to up their wages to get him from San Lorenzo or whether we are going to get another left-footed centre-back in. But a great addition is the start of hopefully a few big, big additions in the coming weeks. One Whitecaps player that isn't coming back, uh, at least for the 2023 season, is midfielder Caio Alejandri. The Whitecaps extended Alejandri's loan to Brazilian Serie A side Fortaleza through to the end of 2023, so December 20, 31st, 2023. The new loan agreement includes an obligation to purchase if certain performance triggers are met by the Brazilian side. Alejandre originally joined Fortaleza on loan last August and Axel Schuster said that Caio had expressed his desire to remain with Fortaleza and all parties agreed that that was the right path for him. And the Whitecaps are wanting to follow his progress and so far his progress seems to be going well. Made 12 appearances with Fortaleza, 11 of them starts. Scored a goal for them last season and helped decide secure a spot in the 2023 Copa Libertadores qualifiers. I guess it's a a win-win situation really for the Whitecaps because if he does well and he ends up staying there, they're going to get a transfer fee for him. If he progresses and they decide not to sign him, then the Whitecaps are going to get him back as a more all-round better player. It just feels sad that we never really got to see the best Caio Alejandre that we could have seen because of the injuries. and He looked such a good signing, but I think this is definitely best for player for the Whitecaps that he at least spends this year down there, and you've got to see probably move on as well. So while we're all eagerly awaiting the additions of new players, especially a new striker, maybe a designated player striker in that, we do know that the Whitecaps have made four other additions to either the MLS roster or the WFC2 roster. And that, of course, came from the 2023 MLS Super Draft, which, like the schedule, was earlier than it has ever been before, taking place before Christmas. The Whitecaps had four picks over the three rounds, and they went fully into the Christmas spirit, I feel, by trading up to add JC. He's always popular around the Christmas period, because in the first round, the Whitecaps acquired the fifth overall pick from Houston in exchange for the 13th pick that they had, They paid $125,000 in 2023 GAM, $100,000 in 2024 GAM to trade up to select 23-year-old Generation Adidas French attacking midfielder Jean-Claude Gando from the University of North Carolina Greensboro with that overall fifth selection. Born in Douala, Cameroon, Gando moved to France at the age of seven, went on to play for Paris FC2 and Amiens SC2, 
then headed to the US to college, scoring nine goals and adding 22 assists in his two seasons with UNC Greensboro. Very highly rated player, and you've got to feel that the Whitecaps really, really value him if they put all that gam on the table to trade up for him. They had another selection in the first round as well. With the 29th overall selection, they chose Canadian forward Levante Johnson from Syracuse University. In the second round, they took centre-back Daniel Nimick from Western Michigan University. That was 42nd overall. While the third round saw the club select centre-back Buster Schoberg, 71st overall, also from Syracuse University. We'll get some of our thoughts on those draft picks shortly. Before that, though, let's just hear a little bit of the thoughts from Whitecaps head coach Vanny Sartini and sporting director Axel Schuster. A chat that they had with some media after the draft took place. So you're going to hear some questions from myself, from Harjit Jahal and from Nathan Durick as well. So let's get the thoughts of Vanny and Axel on, in particular, JC Gando and Levante Johnson. Just wanted to, to start off with just with two questions uh, about the the first pick that you had today. With all the trades that were getting done today, was this a player that you had highlighted that you really wanted and you were a bit concerned that you might not get him because other teams were moving up in the draft? Yeah, it's... Uh, uh, yeah, uh, JC was a player that... Uh, I want to just say again what Axel said, that we saw. It's not just me and... Uh, I also philosophically think that uh, the head coach of this season should have maybe should have less say than in other things in the draft because the draft is uh, not only signing players for next year but signing players for the for the future of the organization. But uh, uh, JC was one of the players that the consensus was unanimous, and we saw like uh, like in a in a two ways I would say like a player that he can grow up and and be a player that uh, uh, can develop, but at the same time, probably a player that can help even immediately. And uh, so when there was the possibility to, to uh, let's say, get up uh, in the queue a couple of spots and, uh, and be sure that we were going to, to sign him, uh, we did it, it, it was in the plan and... Uh, we're very, we're very happy with the, with the choice that we made. Uh, I'll direct this one to Axel then. What was it about JC that you saw that made him the, the guy that you wanted? I, I think people from afar might look in and think maybe midfield wasn't one of the, the pressing priorities, but you obviously value a lot in what you've seen from him to, to get this done. Yes, um, there have been two guys actually um, that we have put so high on all this that we would have felt comfortable. We felt comfortable to trade up even to get them because we were worried that we would not get them with the 13th spot. Um, actually, we have been right. The other guy went way early. Said that um, the two guys and actually with GC. Um, why? Um, I think because uh, they, other than a lot of the other guys that are in this draft, have not only shown some talent and some highlights and some 
vision how how things could develop with the player. Both of those players and GC was the one have shown us enough that we think that they immediately can play. And if you ask us why GC in a position where maybe people have not expected us to pick, um, the reason is because he is also a completely different profile than that what we have. He's a player who who feels comfortable to dribble with the ball, to come with a lot of speed through through his face in the middle of the park and, and then to distribute the ball. And uh, while we have been a rally and have looked at the scrimmages there, he was the one player who really always could uh, give an impact to the to the games, who really could make something happen, who could uh, actually make a difference in those games. And that made us comfortable that he can give us something immediately that we maybe don't have in that way in our midfield. And of course, um, he's a young player. He knows that he has to grow a lot. But there are other areas in this game that he has to grow. In. But all areas where we feel comfortable that we can help him to grow. And those things he has, I think, can help us in certain situations of, of games. Um, my question is for Coach Vanny. Uh, where do you see uh, JC playing in your formation? And do you see him more as uh, a role player or a starter or what specifically? I ask first on the second question. The role player as a starter, it's, uh, it's the, the field that will, will tell us, uh, you know, uh, uh, when, when we start at the beginning of the season, everyone has a chance and everyone can become a player that is more important or less important accordingly of his performance on the pitch during the training session and the game. So that we'll see. About this position, I think that we'll, uh, we'll try him in, uh, in two positions mainly. Um, uh, one of the two number eights uh, and one of the two ten. Uh, I think he has quality to play in both of these positions. That's another thing that we like about him in the sense that in in he can play kind of can fit three four uh, position on the field and it's very important especially for a young player. So we will see uh, we will utilize him in preseason in uh, in both the position number eight and number ten and uh, hopefully he's going to be good in both. If not, we'll decide which is his best position and we'll see. What was his reaction? Was he excited? I, I imagine he didn't think there was going to be a trade for a team to jump up and acquire him? Yeah, it was very... I talked with him right after the, we picked him. I called him. It was pretty late in France, but it was pretty uh, pretty excited. And uh, I actually mentioned to him that, uh, you know, uh, besides the standard responsibility to come in preseason with a, with a good form, we... The team actually... We did an, we did a, uh, an investment on it. We... we uh, we made a trade, uh, paying some gam, and he was. Uh, he actually sa said that he was very honored and very humbled by the thing, and so that gives it gives him uh, even uh, extra motivation to come and show his uh, his quality from day from day one. A little bit about uh, uh, Nagando uh, that you got here first with your uh, number fifth or your fifth pick here. Uh, one of the things that you know we're trying to research as rapidly as we can about uh, what he could offer the team. And it seems that he has a very high intelligence in being able to move the ball into very dangerous positions. He, the number of assists he had, he, he assisted almost half of the goals of his team last year. Is that something that you're looking at as a guy that might be able to move the ball really, really uh, efficiently through the middle of the park? Uh, 
I can answer that. Yeah, his quality, the, the, the main quality that he has, in my opinion, are two. He's, he's able to get out of pressure. Uh, it's very skillful to get out of pressure. And he's also uh, very good at moving the ball forward, either with a dribbling or with a pass forward. So that's for sure two qualities that uh, we, saw, we've, we saw in him and, uh, and we want to keep developing and uh, see that uh, if he can get it at the highest level. Uh, because he was playing in a certain position and in, in a certain style of play with his college, uh, we want to see uh, how much of his uh, uh, capacity to go box to box is going to be uh, ready for MLS level. And that's the, I would say, the question that is going to bring us understanding if he's going to be more of an advanced player, number 10, or more a back to back, or more a box to box midfielder that also has this uh, kind of uh, quality. He's also one of the oldest players that's in the draft uh, this year, uh, 23 years old. He also has some uh, some first-team experience back when he was with Paris FC. Is he a guy that, I guess in your scouting, that you thought might be the most MLS-ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, uh, that I said it before. Uh, the consensus was unanimous because it's not only a, a prospect, but we think that he's a player that he can help from day one. It came also earlier up and with the age. I want to say, um, yes, he is. Uh, maybe he was one of the oldest players that was available, but he has also a different uh, development path that we have to know. Um, a, a different development path to a lot of those players that have been in this draft and came from college now. He has already played in two uh, French clubs in, and has uh, been in their development system. So, um, and then also. Uh, that was also an important fact for us. He has actually went through a challenging time and he was very outspoken about that in his interview that we have done in Raleigh, how challenging that was for him. And he has also went through this experience and has seen that not everything always happens easily. So for that reason, um, I think, yes, he's more mature and the age was actually an advantage or was here something that we rated uh, high. Talking about your other pick here, that you took a 29th with uh, Vontae Johnson. What was it about this player? I know that he uh, he's done very well for his uh, his college career. He's bounced around between a few colleges. What was it about him? Just because we know so little about him, his characteristic. Uh, it's the type of striker that, that I like. He's very vertical. He presses very well. He attacks the space. Uh, he can be. I think he has all the ingredients to become an uh, an MLS player. And uh, um, he is also very enthusiastic to come. And uh, so I think that mainly was the characteristic and the type of player that he is. His work ethic uh, was very high uh, on all the games that I scouted and even the guys that uh, our scouting group, when they went to the college combined, they spoke highly about him. So, um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, that, that was the main reason. Uh, an additional fact... It's also a Canadian guy, so we're always happy when uh, when we're able to give chance to uh, Canadian players to to come to uh, to the league. Uh, just to go back, Vanny to Levante, he had a he's he's coming in from the NCAA champions as well. So he's got that winning mentality. He's had a really good season there as well with eleven goals and contributing assists as well. Bringing in a guy which I, I would imagine 
he might follow the Simon Beecher route and go into WFC2 initially. But to bring in that winning mentality must be good to add to the group as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, uh, I actually talk with him on the, on the phone now. To, and he also is a very confident guy. He has, the, I would say, the right amount of swagger. Uh, on the uh, on the call, so yeah, we need. Uh, we said it uh, uh, multiple times last year that uh, when things were going well, we were flying. But as soon as things were, were not going well, we were hitting the, a little bit of a hole, and we were, we were digging a hole for a few weeks before 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 uh, before getting up. So at at every level, from the experienced player, from the new players, from the young players. We need players that are comfortable in uh, uh, having challenges, bring uh, winning mentality. And winning mentality doesn't mean just a winning mentality to give everything on the pitch, on the game, but uh, to show the winning mentality from day one of preseason and try to be their best version. Because especially these young guys, they will have to show immediately that they can keep the pace with the other guys. Some thoughts there from Vanny Sartini and Axel Schuster on the first two draft picks in in particular that were taken last month. Interesting to hear Axel saying that they had two guys targeted and one of them went in the top four, so they felt that they should trade up to get their second guy. And with him saying that, you have to feel that the other target was Canadian left-footed centre-back Moise Bombito, from New Hampshire, who went third overall to Colorado, who had also done some trade action to get him. So much trade action on the day. And I think also, interestingly, with the Whitecaps' three picks in Gando, Johnson and Nimick, top drawer soccer actually had the three of them rated fifth, sixth and seventh in their rankings. So potentially, some absolutely fantastic picks there from the Whitecaps. Well, have to say that we're probably going to primarily see them playing in WFC2 to begin with. Worked very well for Simon Beecher last year, who showed his worth, as we talked about, with eight goals and four assists for WFC2, earning that MLS first-team contract in the process for this year, getting a call-up as well to the Whitecaps for MLS action. Vanny does feel that Gando is maybe MLS ready though. So it's going to be interesting to see if he's maybe going to be a bit of a hybrid player and they're going to give him that MLS deal and just have him play in some playing time for both the first and the second team. As I mentioned though, there was a a lot of draft action on the day. A lot of trades were done. It just felt though that this year that this was a never-ending draft and there's just got to be a better way to do it it just dragged on and on and I mean we've talked about it before that MLS feel that they just have to be in the drafts and do what the NFL do do what baseball does do what hockey do because that's the the North American way it just drags on and on and also not having it in person as well you kind of feel just takes away from it anyway so hopefully they can find a better way to do it because this year with all those trades that just was such such a boring draft at times but talking of trades there was some other trade action that took place before the the draft got underway with Whitecaps Academy alumni Brandon Cambridge 
getting traded to Charlotte FC for 50,000 in GAM. That was in exchange for MLS homegrown territory exclusivity over the midfielder Brandon Cambridge. As part of the trade, the Whitecaps could receive an additional 100,000 in GAM if Cambridge meets certain performance incentives. And in addition, the Whitecaps will retain a percentage of any future transfer that Charlotte do receive for Cambridge down the line. The 20-year-old midfielder originally joined the Whitecaps in 2017, spent time with the club at under-17, under-19 and under-23 level before committing to the University of Portland Pilots in July 2020. The product from Chilliwack had a great time there with Portland, was named the conference's Offensive Player of the Year. Originally born in New York City as well, so counts as a domestic for Charlotte. I thought it was a a little bit strange to to do this, so I wanted to kind of get the thoughts of Axel as to just why they did that. So let's hear what he had to tell me. Just about the trade you did this morning uh, for Brandon Cambridge and receiving the GAM. Obviously, he was a highly rated player when he was in the academy and has had a, three good years at, at Portland. Was this just a case that he wasn't really in your first team plans and if another club was interested, you just didn't want to stand in his way? Look, uh, Charlotte is in a different situation. They are just building their second team and so they they had uh, a lot of needs for players. So for us, um, we, we actually um, uh, haven't seen him getting a spot and getting the playing time that would be necessary to do the next step in our environment with the amount of players we have. We all know that we uh, have Simon still there. We have actually um, brought him uh, Lowell last year, that we also who we also rate very high. And, uh, there are a few other players, and one other player that might uh, probably comes to MLS Next Pro very soon that we rate very high. So it's also about um, yeah being mindful about the development of such players. I think uh, um, he, we had very good conversations with him. He actually was very grateful and thankful for, for us being so open and opening and, and helping him with this opportunity. We also uh, sit here in the boat and uh, we'll get additional bonuses and even future transfer sell-on participation. Um, if, if there is not the space for this profile of player in our club, then I think the best job we can do is to help those kids to get a, to get a spot somewhere else where, where a club is looking for such a profile and needs it. And can give him the playing time, and also we have a we have a matching right, so we can also bring him back at any time. Charlotte wants to trade him again or sell him again. So we, I think, we did the best possible job to stay to stay connected to him, to have um, still a good, uh, um, yeah, have a, still have a good connection to him and keeping the chance alive that he maybe comes back at a certain time if he develops right. And, and and also helping him to be on the platform where he can do this next step. So Axel Schuster there just chatting about that trade to Charlotte for the rights to Brandon Cambridge. And got to say, I like the explanation there from Axel. Much like Montreal with Karifa Yao, 
The club just did not want to stand in the way of his development. He wasn't going to be featuring the first team at best. If they took him in, he was going to feature for WFC 2. I think this is the way to go with these players. Develop them. Don't stand in their way for the good of Canadian soccer and the player. And who knows what happens down the line. Maybe we'll see him back in a Whitecaps jersey at some point down the line. But I do like that the Whitecaps, Montreal, clubs like that, they're just not standing in players' ways anymore, holding on to their rights when they're really not going to utilise them. And that is really the way things should be. So that is pretty much it for our, our Whitecaps chat. We'll have wavelength to come and our sort of final tribute to Pele. But just before we get to that, any final Whitecaps thoughts looking into 2023? In particular, of course, there is the new rival in town, Vancouver FC, in the CPL. We'll do a CPL show soon as well. Do you feel it's going to have a big impact on the Whitecaps? If they have a good start to the season, will it make any difference? If they don't have a good start to the season, could it be a tough sell? For, for the Whitecaps with this new rival in town? Uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how, how it all plays out. I mean, I think that it's a very, very large area. Very, very, there's lots of people, right? So I think both clubs can thrive. I think the Whitecaps, uh, Whitecaps thriving will mean that they have to perform well. I think Vancouver FC, because they're new and um, I think because of where they're playing, I think they have an opportunity to um, in, engage a, a, a group of people, you know, that are lo- looking for something different, right? And so uh, I, I think they both can, I think there's opportunity for them both to thrive and not to necessarily cause each other any kind of kind of issues. That's <laughs> I what I hope. I, I mean, I, I, yeah. I think there's definitely room in the market. And with the white caps, like all their games, Steve, are, are kicking off at home at 7.30. So for if sure. Vancouver FC are sensible, they'll have afternoon kickoffs for the folk that want to do both, can do both. Right. And I think, but I think there is going to be a rare thing where people do both. But I think the, I think Zach makes a great point that they have to be different. Um, whether it's the way they put the game on, uh, at, uh, pre, pre-game stuff, post-game stuff. Um, if you're like... I don't know what Langley rules are, but if you're able to do like a tailgate or something like that, that would be huge to bring people in. Yeah. Uh, people before they well, especially because there's not like great stuff around in some of the. Yeah. So that's where, that's where it's going to be like, a, like they have to be different than what the white caps are. Cause there's a lot of people that were, that are um, like disillusioned from the white cap. So you have to uh, be able to show that you are different from the big club, but still put on a great, great show. I, I think for Vancouver FC, when it comes to the Voyager's cup, I think you hope. I think the ideal. I probably won't be able to work this way with the rounds, but the ideal would be, I think, to play and beat TSS in the first round, to play and beat Pacific in the second round, and then to play and beat Vancouver in the, in the third round. But see, for uh, me, I'm hoping TSS beat Vancouver in the first round, and then Pacific in the second round, and then face the Whitecaps. There you go. You would say that you're an owner, uh, of course. So that is pretty much it for the Whitecaps chat. It's not it for the show, though. We are going to just finish with our wavelength and a, a final tribute to Pele. So the I've, we've played a song before, which we played a, a little sample from at the start of the show, from a, a group called Wembley 73, which was uh, Pele in Brazil-related uh, Slough Town versus Brazil 66. I'd thought about digging that out again, but then I thought, no, let's find 
uh, another tribute song to Pele. So I've gone back to a Brazilian artist from 1972, Luis Alberto del Parana, and this is his song, O Rey Pele. Luis Alberto del Parana, Ore Pele. Ore meaning the great one or the king, which Pele, of course, was. R.I.P. Pele. We'll hear some final thoughts from the great man to close out the show. Before we get to that, though, just some final thoughts and some goodbyes from you. Steve, where can folk find you online? Any final thoughts as we head into 2023? Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat and uh, no real final thoughts. Um, um, just hoping to see Vanny shirtless more on the on the pitch this year. That's fair enough. You follow me on Twitter at Zachary M. And yeah, nothing uh, but uh, blessings for everyone in 2023. I'm Michael McCall. Find me on Twitter, AFT in Canada. Make it your New Year's resolution to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications on AFT in Canada's YouTube channel which we may get around to doing more videos for this year. It's It's been one of those years It's just been so busy with me doing commentary and then Zach being at the World Cup. We maybe didn't get round to all the things we had hoped to do. But it's an exciting year for football here in the Lower Mainland. We've got the Whitecaps. We've got Vancouver FC. We've got League One BC. So much football to watch. It's going to be great. Get out and support it at all levels. That would just be my hope for all of you. Thank you for all your support of AFTN in 2022. Remember, you can continue to support us by subscribing to the Extra Podcast as well. 
Get all the details on AFTN.ca about that. We'll be back with another episode soon. But for now, I want to leave you with the words of the great man himself, Pele, talking about his career. R.I.P. The King. As Sean Arantes, Don Nascimento, the king. The boy called me Pelé in the street. I don't know if I made some mistake or if it was a joke. I fight with the boy. I didn't like I said, no, my name is Edson. Because I was so proud because Edson is a nice name. They said, no, my name is Edson. Then I went to the school. The same boy in the classroom, they called me Pelé to tease me. I fight with him. Then whole school, the girls start to call Pelé, Pelé, to tease me. And then I get the nickname Pelé, but uh, nobody knows why. <laughs> I think the first World Cup, uh, when I was uh, 17 to 18, 18 years old, in the World Cup in Sweden, Brazil won in 58. This was the moment where I get, you know, the base, where I get uh, confidence in myself. Then I think this, I could mention it, one of the most important moments. I played four World Cup. And then I can say the last World Cup in Mexico was more important for me. When the, I, I played the first World Cup, I, I just was one more player there. I didn't have a responsibility. When they played in Mexico, the last World Cup, I already was a Pelé. Everybody respect for me. All the Brazilian people, the government, started to press me. This was more important for me. I admire Beckenbauer. And uh, the other player who I used to see, I like, was Bob Charlton from England. Excellent player. The thousand goal who I scored in the Maracanã was by penalty kick, but the uh, whole world was there in that day. We got uh, almost two, 200,000 people in Maracanã. The biggest stadium was, the, I think, was the largest crowd in the world. The thousand goal was important because it was, you know, for all over the world. You have a lot of moments in your, in your career. You see, you know, a beautiful goal and other person who scored a nice goal. And I saw the, the, the in, uh, in Sweden, the, the center forward from Sweden that time, he scored for me one of the best goals who I saw against Brazil. It's the only sport where you see, you know, the pool, the, pool, the, the rich people, the queens, you know, in one, in one stage. And then you, you have a communicator all over the world. Doesn't matter your nation, doesn't matter your color. This is important, I think, in, in soccer. It's the sport where you put the people together and the world together. I don't want to change. I think if I have to, to do everything again, again since I was born until now, I will do everything again. Mm-hmm.